Live across the greatest city known to man, from Altona to Abbotsford. From, from inside the Melbourne Club to outside and into the Bentley, it's Howie and the Moon Man. And of course me, Malcolm, the Prime Minister. The Winter Breakfast on Triple M. Good morning, Melbourne town. Six after six, seven point three degrees in Melbourne, heading to the top of 15. Mark Howard and Lawrence Mooney with you. If you're just jumping in your car, happy Monday to you all out there. How are you, Moon Doggy? Tommy's here as well. Uh, I'm very well indeed. I had a terrific weekend. The Bombers got up over the pies. Uh, we'd lost the last two, one to Brisbane, one to the Swans. Mm. And so we saw the pies off. Yesterday, I was listening to you on the radio, on the wireless, on oh, Triple yes. M Football. Uh, you've already installed Paul Ruse as the coach of Collingwood. <laughs> Wasn't me. That was dark. You were rushing to judgment there. The the day before, uh, the Triple M team was screaming that Collingwood has no game plan. That was Brian. Uh, so and clearly, Nate Brown. clearly, Eddie is out of the country and everyone's just <laughs> cut loose. <laughs> well, it was suggested to me in our pre-game meeting yesterday that possibly we should further the discussion from Nathan Buckley and talk about senior figures at Collingwood and whether they should retain their positions. And I said, now listen, do yeah, you blokes realise who runs this station? Well, I was, I was we ain't thinking, going down that path. Yeah. But then it was very quickly the you know the manager of football and the recruiting <laughs> officer. Listen, and, can I just say the, right and the now, the CEO, everyone got mentioned. The president, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, should remain for the next forty-five years. He's doing years. a terrific job, magnificent job, job. brilliant being, job. Being let down poorly by all those around him. The subordinates at that oh. operation need anyway, to lift. He's like Captain Bly overseeing a mutiny. Correct. It's disgraceful. Now uh, you're also giving some health tips to your offsider. <laughs> Jay Z, yes, uh, Jay Clark. Um, you had got some some background on him. Well, he from his gymnasium. Yeah, he'd done a physical fitness test and a body composition test, and mm. we got our hands on those figures and the skinnies they're called in footy that you need to be under a certain level. And basically, as a the average person needs to operate at about fourteen percent body fat, and Jay Z had snuck out yeah. at twenty six percent, and we just sort of brought it up with him. In how a he's kind. How he's at it again? It's just not the winter <laughs> no. breakfast where he body shames. No. He's happy to do it wherever he goes. And you were called on it yesterday morning, and I just want to remind you mm. that my name is Lawrence Mooney. You can call me the Moon Man. You can call me whatever. Yes. But uh, according to this, I'm just your co-host. You're doing breakfast radio at the moment, filling in uh, um, Triple M, obviously. Yes. Um, And uh, did someone call you during the week a uh, fattest? They did, and that was most unfair. That was my co-host. And that sort of makes me a little bit nervous about bringing this to the table. My co-host. Like I'm some shit kicker that's just ambled in here on work experience. Oh, please tell me how to do radio, Mr. Howard. My co-host. Well, all I can say is all uh, all the Howie crews. Who's that bloke you're working with? Yeah, that's right. I'm just following up on that. Were you you too embarrassed to tell your footy mates about me? No, they all love you. They think you're very, very, very funny, actually. They find you very, very funny. Hanging out with your (laughs) testosterone-driven footy mates is like, oh, yeah, me little co-host. Don't Don't worry, I don't think he's ever played the game at the top level. Duck loves you because he's done this job before and I think he's happy to be exited from the winter breakfast. Um, Do you know what I love about the duck? He calls it as he he sees it. And yesterday uh, there was some 
uh, a cloud put over the, the, the Holden Centre down at Collingwood. Mm. You know, that that might be the problem. And Duck's response is, oh, bullshit. <laughs> he goes, do you know what we used to do? We used to fill easygoers with water and they were our weights. You're back I in mean, the kangaroos days when you won the premiership. fundamental man, isn't he? Can I just tell you? That, that's what it's about. It's about sit-ups, push-ups and how hard you can run, isn't it? If, uh, if Duck could put some of his stories to air that were aired in the ad break, Wow. <laughs> Would Triple M football's ratings go even higher? It's a podcast that has been begging to be done for a long time called Off Air. Remember they had All the, of our stories yeah. that we go, oh, we can't put that to air. Uh, Moon Man, you've been uh, sort of having a look through the papers this morning. Mm. And I want to make a special shout out to the people out there in Frankston and Cranbourne. Uh-huh. Uh, particularly on the Frankston-Cranbourne line, it... Uh, uh, First of all, it runs through my hometown of Armadale, so I'm off early before it reaches the end of the lines. Frankston, Cranbourne and Packham lines. Beautiful stations too, Turak, Hawksburn and Armadale. Armadale for you. <laughs> the mean streets of Armadale. We do it tough out there, all right? Now, why I'm making the shout-out is on the front of the age this morning, it says 70% of toll road fines go unpaid. But here's the rub for the people out there, right? The people that have to use CityLink and EastLink. Whilst just under 4% of Victoria's population lives in the Frankston or Cranbourne area, they're paying 10% of CityLink and EastLink fines issued to people. What's going on out there? So what's happening out there is they have got an extra expense in travel. They've got to go through, you know, they they get a lot more beeps on the way home than you or I. Right. And, uh, you know, the, the, the account runs out. Maybe they can't top it up. They end up with fines. And that compounds the situation. I mean, there's people out there lurching from one pay packet to another. You know, working poor are some people out there. And it's very expensive and it's an inequitable system because they have to use the road and the old user pays thing. But would you like to supply those people good public transport? No, because on page six it goes on to say that these are some of the most disgruntled public transport users on the system because they suffer more breakdowns and delays than any of the other 16 rail lines in Melbourne. So, so they're, they're getting they're stuck banged both up. ways. Yes, they're being stuck both ways. So a big shout out to the people out there. If you if you want to vent, if you're from Frankston or Cranbourne and, you know, you're going through the Ernst Vanke overpass uh, or the, the South Gippy merge, you can give us a call. You can tell us that you're mad as hell and you're not going to take it anymore. More than seven out of ten toll road fines go unpaid. No one pays their fines. No. Well, the thing is, what happens then? They, they can't come and, you know, take your wheels off you. There's a, there's a, there's a, I think there's grounds to say, and this is if uh, Transurban isn't a sponsor of the station. No, I don't believe that. They, there should be a, a fine strike. It's gone too far. It's a massive gouge. Uh, the government should step in. The, the, the tolls are outrageously expensive. They should have held on to the, the roads and had a, had a revenue stream, but no, they sold them off. And we are being gouged by a massive company, and I reckon there's room to have a review of tolls well, in this city. you and your soapbox. All you need is our man Kim Jong from North Korea to whack another one of his viruses out into the system and oh, happy days all round. I know. We were all <laughs> applauding the, uh, the speed and red light camera well, They're talking virus. about getting rid of him, but... Uh, 
Maybe. It's so far so good for us and Kim Jong. <laughs> Apart from the nuclear-tipped yeah. uh, well, no, missiles. We, we haven't seen any missile. We're told about a missile. We see footage on the TV. All we know is that we're not paying red light camera fights. <laughs> Kim, Kim Jong all the way. Push on. Morning, Sam. Oh, oh, morning, Ralph. Early in the morning. Triple M's winter breakfast. Early morning quiz. <laughs> 27 after 6, the winter breakfast quiz with the Prime Minister of Australia this morning. Hello, good Prime mor- Minister. Good morning to you, Mark Howard, and good morning to you, young Tom. Good Tom Bainbridge over there, being the button monkey, I that's, believe they get called in radio. Not the best polls mm. over the weekend, Prime Minister. No, not great polls, but uh, there's only one poll that counts, and that's the, the election poll. And we're still some years out from an election, Hark. I mean, really and truly, these polls, who cares? Are, are people actually going to vote for Tit Shorten at an election? I mean, the guy does look like an alien, doesn't he? At least I, I cut a fine figure. So I'm just another one of your co-hosts ambled in here to help you out, have I? That's right. That's exactly the role you're playing today, PM. We're giving away Mark tickets Howard to Paul Stern. Kelly. Mark Howard Stern. Paul Kelly tickets. Uh, his new album, Find His Life, is out August 11, Prime Minister. You've got plenty of callers too. I have too, and our first caller is Conrad from Berwick. Now, what are the rules here, Howie? Get one wrong, you're out? That's correct. Prime okay. Minister. Conrad from Berwick, good morning. Good morning, PM. Thank you for waiting on the line too. I believe there has been some delay. First question is, who kicked five goals in Essendon's win over Collingwood on Saturday? It's a multiple choice, Conrad, too. A, Michael Hurley. B, Anthony McDonald, Tip and Woody. C, Orazio Fantasia. Or D, David Zaharakis. Well, I've been away all weekend, so it's only a guess, but I'll say uh, Zaharakis. That's incorrect. Sorry, Conrad. Uh, I hope you had a lovely long weekend, but you're out of the quiz. Aidan from Bacchus Marsh. Yes. I've got a Bacchus, as they say. <laughs> mm. uh, <laughs> who kicked five goals in Essendon's winner over Collingwood on Saturday? Michael Hurley, Anthony, Anthony McDonald, Tippin Woody, Razio Fantasia, or David Zaharakis? Correct. I could take points off for incorrect pronunciation. It is not Fantasia. It is Fantasia. I'm not sure about that, but yeah. I am. Si parla italiano. Okay. Yes. There's no in Italian. Okay. Okay. Let's move on. Aiden from Bacchus Marsh. What do BNS stand for in BNS ball? Blokes and... What what do the letters BNS stand for in BNS ball? Blokes and Sheilas, bait and switch... Bachelor and Spinster, or Beers and Swingers? Bachelors and whatever that one was. Yes, correct. C, Bachelor and Spinster, well done. What year was Bruce Springsteen born, Aidan? A, 1939, B, 1960, C, 1949, or D, 1929? I think Aidan's consulting with his brains trust there. 1949. Correct, Aiden. Well done. You've got two to go now. Come on, Aiden. A couple were shot in a King Street nightclub on Saturday morning. Not good. Which fictional characters were the pair dressed as? Were they dressed as Batman and Robin, the Joker and Harlequin, Maverick and the Iceman, Sandy and Danny from Greece? Which characters were they dressed as? Unfortunately, the man was shot in the stomach. The woman was shot in the leg. They were dressed as fictional characters. 
which two were they dressed as? Uh, the Joker and Harley Quinn. The Joker and Harlequin, or Harley Quinn, I should say, yes. And finally, here you go, Prince Harry's partner, Meghan Markle, a really good sort. She, she appears in legal, legal-based US TV show, A, Ally McBeal, B, Law and Order, C, Suits, or D, Boston Legal. One of the great shows. Boston Legal. Daddy, no. what's his name? No, that's, I was talking no. about the answer. Right. Oh, right. Okay, one of the great shows. So, uh, uh, that is correct. You're very quick on the phone there, Googling like a maniac, I'll bet. Well done Good to on you, Aiden. Aiden. You've scored tickets for you and three mates to see Paul Kelly live at a secret gig. His new album, Fine Life is Fine, is out on August 11. Well done to you, Aiden. Thanks, boys. Thank you very much, Aiden. What a Uh, great start to the week for young Aiden from Bacchusmarsh. Indeed. Thank you to you, Prime Minister. Always a pleasure, never a chore. I can pop back later if you need. That'd be fantastic. Moon Man, I'm a big fan of the Tour de France. And unfortunately, Australia's great hope, the Tasmanian Richie Port, had a big accident on a descent heading to the finish line last night in Stage 9 of the Tour de France. This is how it went down. So he's had a crash, crash. and Port is down. So too is Dan Martin. Richie Port is on the deck. Dan Martin is with him. This is the day that everybody's feared. Here we see it. The left-hander, Port off the road. Dan oh. Martin over the top. That Dan is Martin unlikely heavy... taken out. It's a heavy, heavy fall. That audio, courtesy of SBS, who do a magnificent job on the Tour de France. Uh, Richie Port went mm. down really, really, really hard. He is out of the Tour de France. And a man who's been doing a very nice job for the Herald Sun over there reporting on all the intricacies. I think he's probably pretty flat after the Aussie is out now. Sam Edmund joins us on the line from France. G'day, Sammy. How are you? Good to talk to you, boys. Thanks for having me. Great to speak to you. Describe the incident, Sam, for those that haven't seen it this morning. It's quite horrific. And update us on Richie's progress health-wise. All right. The first party question. The best way I can relate this to the common man or woman listening is get in your car, mm. go down the Nepean Highway, get it up to 72.5 kilometres an hour, Ooh. wind down the window and jump out. Oh! Because that's effectively what Richie Porter's done this evening. And, uh, yeah, look, we're all in a fair state of shock, state of shock over here because... Uh, one of the worst crashes, I think, some of the experienced followers of this race say is one of the worst crashes the tour has ever seen. Um, it was horrific. He's got a fractured clavicle, so a fractured collarbone, a fractured pelvis. Incredibly, that's all he's got. He was taken to hospital here in uh, Chambéry where they uh, did all the necessary tests. He'll stay overnight and everything. And uh, look, with any luck for him, he'll be able to go home tomorrow. But uh, he's a damn sight lucky it's not worse. Yeah, well, he didn't just come off the bike at uh, 70 plus k's. He also wore the rider behind him, just got completely flounced by the bike behind him. Yeah, so Dan Martin was, uh, look, the unlucky rider, you have to say, on his wheel. Richie locked up the back wheel, went off onto the dirt, then skidded across the bitumen into the opposite rock wall on the other side. And Dan Martin, the Irishman, had nowhere to go. So he's run straight into him and fallen off himself. And then not only that, but this is a stage everyone feared. This is a stage they had all circled as being, look, borderline too dangerous for the tour. And uh, and so it turned out because uh, Dan Martin got his bike hooked up and went off down the road. He actually crashed again on the same road before rolling over the line. We know Garen Thomas is out. We've seen Mark Cavendish is out. Peter Sagan's been disqualified. Robert Hessink was out today as well. Uh, Alejandro Valverde's crashed out. We're nine days in. We've got about eight guys uh 
who aren't going to finish this race at the moment. It's a real war of attrition. Yeah, so the defending champ, Chris Froome, leads the Tour de France by 18 seconds. It'd be hard to top at this stage. But, Sammy, in the Tour, and the Queen stage, this one, as they call it, they thought this one could well decide the Tour de France. Normally, in big bike races, you finish with a summit. Unusual to finish with a descent to the finish line. No, you're spot on. There's only three summit finishes this year, boys, which is highly unusual for the Tour. A lot of flat sprint stages, but a lot of the mountainous stages finish on descents. Now, the common belief is they're doing that to break up the rhythm, I guess, that teams like Team Sky like to get on the front and almost paralyse the peloton and, um, you know, wear it down to discourage Mm. attacks. And they felt, I guess, the race was becoming a bit too predictable. So by putting in these descents, it's a little bit harder for a team like Team Sky to control. So you have teams, other teams who are willing to roll the dice, send riders into the breakaway, make it what we think, what they think might be a bit more interesting to watch on the television. But the flip side of that is Mm. you get these treacherous descents like the Mont de Chat, appropriately named, mind you, um, (laughs) with a bit of water on them. And um, you've got guys who are on the limit. They've been uh, racing for 180 k's and climbed 4,500 metres. And uh, they're tired, they're fatigued, and they're pushing the limits. And um, you're going to get some bad accidents. And safe to say... It hasn't gone down too well, obviously, amongst uh, the rest of the peloton and the rest of the teams. A, a cynical person observing that change in the way the tour's been run might just say, well, that's like reality TV, you know, sleep deprivation and throw someone an angle grinder, tell them to renovate a house. They're asking for trouble. They want that kind of action. They want that kind of spills and thrills. That's what a cynical yeah, well, person that's what... might say. No, well, that's what some of the riders are saying. I mean, the man we just spoke about earlier, Dan Martin, he uh, finished and crossed the line and said, look, well, I guess, let's be honest, the organisers have got what they want. Um, they want carnage. That's what he's saying. That's oh, what some of the riders are saying. It's a disgrace. Um, so, uh, yeah, look, as I said, there's only three summit finishes. Um, the peloton's licking their wounds at the moment. And uh, Chris Froome we spoke of, look, while Richie Port had his struggles today, Chris Froome rode magnificently. Roman Bardet rode magnificently. They make it look easy. So it's not to say that uh, all the riders are absolutely struggling, but um, when you increase the risk uh, profile like they've done, um, you're going to get accident. Sam, we appreciate your time, mate. Stay safe over there, and hopefully the riders do as well. No worries, guys. Thanks for having me. Now on Triple M's Winter Breakfast, it's the Overnight Sport. The new Despicable Me 3 family box at McDonald's. Made for sharing, made for family. Winter breakfast, Mark Howard, Lawrence Mooney, 9 minutes to 7. Jason Bennett uh, called some games of footy on the weekend, so he's not here this morning. So I'm playing the role of your sports caster. I thought JB did a great job. Uh, I was listening to his call of the Melbourne Carlton game. And uh, yeah, well done. Good uh, to hear him. Indeed. Formula One, the Austrian Grand Prix wrapped up with the Finn Valtteri Bottas pulling off a victory last night in front of Sebastian Vettel. Dan Ricciardo, Aussie Dan, did well. Finished third behind Vettel, making it his fifth podium in a row. Lewis Hamilton finished fourth. So, for those that like their F1, Sebastian Vettel now leads Lewis Hamilton by 20 points in the Drivers' Championship. You get 25 for a win, so it's starting to stretch out. Daniel Ricciardo... Still close. Yeah, Daniel Ricciardo, prior to qualifying, had a chat to the media, and, well, he eased it out of them a little bit with this statement. For me, personally, it's... I always said I want to win five races and retire, so I'm I'm probably not going to compete this weekend. Um, I think I'm done. Uh, so it's it's changed pretty dramatically my, my position in, in the sport. Uh, beyond that, for the team, I guess well yeah they got to find another driver, and uh, but also you know okay there's the stress of finding someone else, but then uh, it's also a big confidence boost. You know they got to win before the summer break, so it's been good. 
Now, that, what, what I need to explain to you, that's Daniel Ricciardo. When you interview a Formula One driver, it's in the back of the paddock, and there's gurus from all around the planet. There'll be Italians and Spaniards, and there's language barriers, all sorts going on. There's the Scandinavians, the Russians. The non-English speakers will have thought, right, he's feeding them here, and will have started filing their reports. And then Dan, as he does, bursts out the big laugh and says, I got you all. I like that. Yeah, that's his sense of humour. Do you know what it says to me uh, about Daniel Ricciardo mm. is that, He's a man enjoying himself. He's having fun. There's no grim kind of, oh, you know, we're doing it tough, blah, blah, blah. He, he's winning. He's getting podiums. Uh, he's loving driving for Red Bull, and he's having a great time. And he's a good dude. And that's not always the case in that sport, I can assure you right now, Lawrence Mooney. Who's the worst? Kimi Raikkonen by the length of the Albert Park Straits. Really? What is it about Raikkonen? Oh, he's just the world's hardest man to interview. He doesn't right. like doing interviews. He's just a little comes ferret. from comes from his uh, ferret. He's a ferret behind the wheel of a very fast car. <laughs> yeah. Comes from great pedigree in the Formula One world. His father drove. No, he didn't. Didn't he? No, that's Nico Rosberg. You're thinking of. Oh yeah, but one that's of those Scandinavians. Right. Yeah, well, sort well, of. no, no. When I say his father drove, <laughs> his father drives him around <laughs> to the go kart yeah, track yeah, continuously. Yeah, right. Women's cricket. Uh, England beaters in the winners uh, in the World Cup, first time in 24 years. So now they're a chance to reach the last four. They beat us by three runs. So victory takes England above Australia and India to the top of the table on a net run rate with two games to play. I want to make a point to you here. There's a young lady I'm by the name is. of Elise Perry who made 70. Elise Perry was a Matilda. So she played soccer at the highest levels, played in a World Cup for her country. People know this story. She then opens the bowling for her country, both extraordinarily Amazing things to do to represent your country Terrific in two different work, sports. Elise. However, Elise has gone from being an opening bowler to a number nine batsman to becoming an absolute gun with a bat. She made 70 overnight. She's not now just an all-rounder. She's probably behind Meg Lanning, the second best batsman in Australia and the top five batswomen in the world, as well as being an opening bowler and playing soccer for the Matildas. I floated this idea during our coverage of uh, Australia versus Pakistan over the summer, and uh, we'll be covering the, the Ashes if we've mm. got a tour this year on Triple M. And that is that cricket is one of those sports where, you know, uh, the physicality of man versus woman isn't an essential division between the sexes. And so I, I could see a day when uh, if a woman can make as many runs as a man uh, or take wickets, that why wouldn't we have a mixed team? You know, in an evolved world, we don't have to have men and women's cricket. We just have cricket. I don't think it could ever work in Australian rules football. It may do, you know, if you have a woman who's got the same physicality. If you're good enough, man. you should play. Absolutely. That's we my heard point. That Australia's Richie Port is out of the Tour de France, a massive crash Ooh, at over 70 nasty. kilometres an hour, got away, and I say got away, and you'll appreciate that when you see the accident with a busted collarbone and a fractured pelvis, which sounds bad, but when mm. you see the crash, it is not a bad result. The inside word on the only game in town. Triple M rocks football. Winston's massive 49th birthday sale for savings on custom window blinds, shutters, awnings and crimp safe. Mark Howard, Lawrence Mooney, winter breakfast, Triple M, three minutes after seven. Moon Doggy, I had the pleasure of being at three games of AFL this weekend. Mm. Can I just say to everybody out there and you and Tom in this studio, at the moment, how good's the footy? It is really good, and uh, we did have some close results on the weekend, Again. including a draw. But uh, I, I did hear you allude to the fact that we were going to have another close result, Demons versus Carlton, while you were calling it. But there were also some blowouts over the weekend. Uh, the Swans won by 67 points. Most notably, the Saints got up over Richmond by 67 as well. But that was out to 92 points at one stage. Mm. And you've got to ask yourself, what goes on 
inside the, the Richmond psyche when it's a big event like that. No, it's a big game. No, Come on, I call. No. Take the, you back to Port Adelaide. No. I talk you back to their last three finals appearances. No, they're all big games. You they can't be up. You can't be stamina. up. No, they, they This do. is a they different like... Richmond. You can't be up every week uh, in the year. They have one bad game. Don't read anything into it. If they get belted next week, start to get concerned. That's easy one for you bad to say game. because I'm at home with Mrs. Mooney. She's a Richmond supporter, and I'm I'm nursing her through this. You know, I, I've, I've got to work with the fallout. Well, I know it's just one bad result. I tell you what, what I did do last night, I watched Australian Ninja Warrior, magnificent oh. show, a combination of sport, a combination of reality TV, and the host Rebecca Madden, and the bloke that is joining us on the line now from the UK, a slimmed down version of the man I used oh, yeah. to know, Freddie Flintoff <laughs> joins us. G'day, Fred. Mighty now, it's almost as if you were told to say that. That was beautiful. <laughs> Mate, I... The way in which you described yeah, no, Warrior, that was beautiful. Well, listen, ripping show. Ripping show. But what are you doing, Fred? Last time we saw you on the Big Bash, you were indecent, Nick. Now you look like you could be riding up the Alpe d'Huez in the Tour de France. Well, that's the thing, Harry. You know when you go to, you go to Australia, everyone has their shirts off, they're on the beach, you've got to look after yourself. <laughs> and then when you're doing Ninja Warrior... You stood there watching these athletes with abs and pecs and biceps and triceps and all the things ending in steps. And you, you've got to have a go, haven't you? You've got to, you've, got to, you've got to have a go and try and look after yourself. I'm fitting out them when I play it. I'll tell you what, we've had a fair exchange rate with uh, people from your crew over the years. We've all come to know the accent through Jeffrey Boycott and Freddie Truman. And now you're well, the I, latest. I have to stop you there. I'm from Lancashire. You, don't, you can't be confusing Yorkshire oh, Lancashire. Sorry, War of the Roses there. Anyway, we've, is, come yeah. to, we've come to know that northern accent and love it. Uh, Freddie, you must love coming to Australia. You know, you know what? I, I never thought that I'd be spending as much time there. Because for us, it was always playing cricket against Australia. You know, the, the rivalry. But for some reason, you seem to be having me over there. So long may it continue. I was looking up to do the big bash, the jungle, bit of projects, and now Ninja Warrior. <laughs> yeah, um, that's right. And it's perfect. Well, you get, you get away from the English winter. It's beautiful. Tell us about Ninja Warrior, mate. It's on again tonight and tomorrow night. I'm not big on reality TV, but I wanted to watch this last night, basically because you were on it, and absolutely loved the show, mate. Yeah, the thing is, it's been a show which has been around the world. I've, I've seen the J- Japanese version, and then over in the UK, it's, it's been massive. All families gather around and watch these people, everyday people, everyday athletes. You know, you see it, there's, there's Olympians, there's truck drivers taking on this unbelievable assault course. And people now, the training for it, they take it really serious because, mm. you know, for some people, they get the chance to play at, you know, Melbourne at cricket or they play at Lords. But for others, this Ninja Warrior course, it's, it's like the big chance to shine. Um, but it's so hard. You're yep. hanging from things, you're swinging off things. You, you've been made for you, are we? Upper body strength and no weight. Well, this is what that's, I was trying to tell it. Rebecca no Madden when weight. she came on, but she said I was too skinny for it. Moon Man, you watched it last night and enjoyed it. Only six people in 31 seasons across the world have ever conquered the fabled cause to be crowned a Ninja Warrior. Mm. Six out of 31 seasons. Freddie, have you had a crack at the course yourself? No, have I? Heck? No. I, have I, I, I was looking at it. And I've, yeah, exactly. I've, I've seen it on TV and you think, you know what, I'll be all right on that. I'll be all right. And then you stand next to it and you realise that, you know, I'm knocking on now. I'm 40 this year. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm not, I've got a lug of 17 stone frame round all them obstacles and my injury history. Some of it might fall off into the water, so I want nothing to do with it. I'm, I'm happy watching and commentating. But Howie, you could be the seventh person. 
Well, I told Rebecca this the other day that I thought I could do it, Fred, and she just laughed in my face. Australian Ninja Warrior, it is on tonight and tomorrow night, 7.30 on Channel 9. Fred, while we've got you on, a bit of cricket going on. Uh, well done to the English yeah. after they beat the South Africans by 211 runs. But we're concerned over here about the Ashes. How have you seen the pay dispute, mate? It's been a really interesting one. And at this stage, in this part of the world, neither side wants to budge an inch. Do you, know, do you know what? I knew you was going to ask me this, and I should have researched it a little bit. We've, we've seen bits over here. There's a pair dispute going on, I think. Is it the Australia t- Air Team aren't touring somewhere? That's it. And it, it's, it's something you just don't want to see in the game. The players, I'm sure, can do without this. They just want to concentrate on playing and getting paid what they think they deserve. Um, but I just, I just hope that it will have no effect on the ashes in yeah. your summer, our winter, because... Looking at the two sides, it could be an absolute cracker. So hopefully they'll resolve it in some way. I, I've been involved in these things and you sit in rooms and you have meetings and nobody wants to bunch, move an inch. And it's sad really because all you want to do is play cricket, represent England, represent Australia. So fingers crossed they can sort it out. I don't know the ins and outs, but come on, let's get on with it. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right about that. Fred, your beautiful family, Rach and the boys, uh, when they were out here for the Big Bash, I think your boys were meeting the likes of Maria Sharapova. They were going in the nets at the MCG <laughs> underneath. Uh, their cricket career still coming along. They're very keen on the game. Yeah, they're, they're, they're doing all right, the boys. I've been watching one of them today. He's been playing for Lancashire under-11s. The other one's playing for <laughs> Lancashire under-10s tomorrow. They're, they're, they're having a go. So they have they're, a county they're, side they're, at that level. That's interesting. Yeah, they do. They love it. They've been through the trials. And it's nice, actually, because I remember starting when I was nine and under 11s at Lancashire and now reliving it as a father, 10 times more nervous. Um, but it's, it's great. It's great. I'm loving my cricket at the minute. And what else is going on, mate? You've always got your travel shows going on. They tell me, actually, yeah. someone was, uh, I think it was the great Ricky Ponting, was uh, texting me the other day saying that he's heard you're going to be acting in a show. And I was like, oh, no, that's not our man's territory. Oh, Howie, 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 you're going to love this, Howie. <laughs> right. I've done a bit of acting. I've, I've been in a drama over here on BBC. Um, and then I auditioned and got a part in a musical. Oh, lovely. Oh, no. I, what musical? I have started, it's called Fat Friends the Musical. It's based on um, a BBC drama from years ago. Um, a great writer called Kay Mella. Andrew Lloyd Webber's son's doing the music for it. I auditioned and got the lead male part. So I'll be, I'll be treading the boards in November. I'm having singing lessons. I'm having acting lessons. I'm having more lessons than I've ever had in my life. Now, I, didn't know you were, um, I didn't know you were lighting the loafers, Freddie. Mate, you, you, wait, you see these moves coming out. It's going to be all good. Jazz hands a lot. It's all going to be happening. Now, for those that shake their head and think the man can't sing, I've seen it on the Big Bash, Fred. Uh, before we let you go, Australian Ninja Warrior again on tonight on Channel 9, on for the next three weeks, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Can you give us, before we go to the break, we are a rock station, but if you're going to go out and say you're an entertainer, can you give us some of your best Elvis work? Oh, I can't. I've not warmed my voice up now. I'm a thespian. I can't that, sing that's... from the car. I've got to go through all the... No, me roll and all that. I've got to warm it up, that way. Fred, I, I, I'm giving you two seconds now while I fill a little bit of space with my man here, Moon. You warm up your voice, and I'd love to hear some of your best Elvis. Come on, Fred, you can do it for the Australian audience. Off. He's very good at this. I'm sat in a room at the BBC in, in Manchester, and everyone's now staring at me in suspense. Right? As the snow flies, 
On a cold and gray Chicago morning, a poor little baby child is born in the ghetto. That's all you're getting out. You're a star, Fred. Mate, we love you. We love you on Ninja Warrior. Wonderful to speak to you again, mate. We can't wait to see you back out in Australia. You're a great man. Cheers, Fred. Look forward to seeing you. Cheers, Moon Man. Cheers, guys. Uh, My sister, who works as a doctor, I had dinner with her last night out at their Croydon Hotel. Oh, area. And she said, oh, you're doing breakfast, Dad said. She said, I won't be listening. All you'll do is talk about footy. And I said, we're not going to talk about footy because we cover all sorts of topics. She said, I'll be in the car at quarter past seven for 30 minutes. Don't talk footy. And what's sister's name? uh, Her name is Madeline. G'day, Maddie. So I said we wouldn't talk footy from quarter past seven. It's now 16 after seven. Let's talk footy. And stick it right up, my sister. Well. <laughs> now, Moon Man, some interesting results over the weekend. There's a little bit of controversy bubbling away. You mentioned that you thought the Tigers were derailed after one loss. I said it's one loss and not too much no, to worry about. it's not about. the one loss. It's the way they capitulate when the pressure is massive. That was a big one. That's a big fork in the road. Top four side. Time to consolidate. Time to stamp your authority on the ground on the game. There's a big event out there. It's no. Maddie's night. No. It's a sea of purple. No. The the candles are waving. No. They come out and they they froze. I don't want to sound like Mick Malloy here, but it's just one bad result. And I tell you what, Kane Corns went down your path. He said after the game, the former Port Adelaide player, that uh, they just didn't come to play Richmond and that they had. And this is what any football team hates to hear, that Richmond had got ahead of themselves. Damien Hardwick was relayed these comments in the presser and unusually had a decent crack back. Oh, seriously, I'd love to see Kane. I'd love to. Would you? I'd really love to see Kane. Yep. Don't get me wrong. That's his job. Sure. He's there to write shit comments. Okay. But do you give that any credibility, though? Please. Well, how do you explain it, Damien, though? You know, get out to 92 points. What? What's? You can't just say, oh, we had a bad one. Your your team embarrassed themselves. Listen, it's one bad result. I've just got a text from... Oh, yeah, it's a bad, I've very bad I've just got one result. text from my sister saying, seriously, question mark, more football? So, yes, we're going to push on with this footy discussion. Get Maddie on the line. Hey, some... Fa- no, 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 we don't need to do that. Uh, <laughs> some fantastic, as I said, you turn up the footy, you don't know what you're going to get week in, week out at the moment. The Kangaroos in the closing stages against Fremantle at Etihad Ooh. Stadium. Todd Goldstein takes a mark. They've got a chance to win it, and Barry Denner and Ewan Giles called it magnificently on Triple M yesterday. Didn't we say Goldstein could win the game? Well, he could right here. They trail by five points. He steps up the big man. We've got 27 and counting down on the clock. That's seconds. He finds. He's missed. He's missed. He's pushed it right and missed. That's a lot of pain for North Melbourne supporters. I, I saw yeah. some coming home from the station last night. and uh, So they've lost at Freo twice this year, five points and four points. Mm. Same results against the Bulldogs, one and three, and they lost it along by one point. They lose a lot of close ones. Yeah, and they that have. hurts. That really hurts. In uh, four-point or under losses, the Kangaroos under Brad Scott, uh, uh, sorry, four-point and under games, Brad mm. Scott coaching that side, they've lost two and won 16 in four-point or under results. So they've had it pretty tough in the tight games. Also, on. they've lost two and won 16 or one, two and... One, yeah, two, one, two, one, two and lost one, 16. Two and lost 16, that's correct. That, also, that is, that's not a great average. Is it? No, it's not a great average. The Hawks, crikey, they were a bit stiff against GWS. Oh, hold on. Who do you barrack for? Uh, not GWS. <laughs> <laughs> uh, closing stages, they needed one point to win the game. It was Punched through by Ryan Burton in the end after the siren. Again, I think it was Gilesy and Barry Denner calling it on Triple M footy. 
They are staring down the barrel of two draws in a row. How important is this clearance now? This wins the game. For McDonald's, Triple M, Rocks footy, there's the bounce. Ten on the clock. McAvoy, tap down, hand pass shield. Rush kick inside forward, 50. Five seconds on the clock. Picked up by Langford. Quick kick to the pocket. The siren's going to go. Punch the full forward. Punch through for rush point. Won't be paid. It's a draw. Won't be paid. It's It's a a draw. Brilliantly called by one of the premier callers in this country, Barry Denner. Calls the footy like no one else. Interesting, I couldn't hear the siren. Uh, sometimes you can hear the siren in a in the commentary position. I couldn't hear it there. Do you any, get any signs of siren there? No, well, I was in a different game just watching that one yeah. on the... Uh, it's not easy when your team's playing and it comes down to the last second and you're trying to call a completely different game. But the footy's fantastic. And talking about the Hawks, I don't want to bang on about it, but this Saturday, traditional rivals, MCG on Triple M, Hawthorne take on Geelong, and the great man, Moondoggy, the great man, Luke Hodge, is playing game number 300. A couple of Norm Smiths, four-time premiership player, three as captain. We'll hope to get him on at some stage this week. I love the man. I'm, he, not, I'm not afraid to declare it. I love the man. He's a terrific bloke and uh, a great competitor. Um, you know, people have debated whether Hawthorne should have maybe cleared him this year, but he has played Please. his 300. So congratulations. You don't be coming on this show with me as my co-host making statements like that. You might be a little bit close to this case, Constable <laughs> Howie. Stand down, oh, mate. You're getting personally sure what involved. what you're going to call me there. <laughs> Now, this is where you've said, right, Howie, you've talked enough sport and you want to wade into politics. Yeah, politics, but also celebrating an Australian bursting onto the scene internationally. Mm. We love it when an Australian really takes it by the horns. And uh, ABC journalist, political journalist Chris Orman is in or was in Hamburg covering the G20. He did a little bit of a summary on Insiders yesterday morning on the ABC uh, covering Donald Trump's appearance at the G20. What we already knew, Barry, that the President of the United States has a particular skill set, that he's identified an illness in Western democracies, but he has no cure for it and seems intent on exploiting it. And we've also learned that he has no desire and no capacity to lead the world. The G20 became the G19 as it ended. On the Paris Climate Accords, the US was left isolated and friendless. But given that that was always going to happen, a deft president would have found an issue around which he could rally most of the leaders. And he had the perfect one, North Korea's missile tests. So where was the G20 statement condemning North Korea, which would have put pressure on China and Russia? Other leaders expected it. They were prepared to back it, but it never came. We learned that Donald Trump has fast forward on the decline of the United States as a global leader. He managed to isolate his nation, to confuse and alienate his allies and to diminish America. He will cede that power to China and Russia, two authoritarian states that will forge a very different set of rules for the 21st century. He didn't miss, did he? No, he just laid into him big time. And the thing with that is it has gone viral. Uh, it took off on Twitter last night. Um, Armanath Amara Singham uh, retweeted, Holy smokes, Australian journalist provides one of the most brutal takedowns of Trump I've ever heard in a while. And that has had 60,000, 68,000 retweets. And so it goes right across social media. American talk shows are talking about it. And uh, Mamma Mia has written an article about how viral it's gone. So uh, we've hit the big time. And I think Chris Ullman's done a terrific job there. He said that uh, Trump was a lonely awkward figure at the G20 and that it looked like world leaders were looking for a way to work around him. So nothing that we don't know about Trump already, 
but just beautifully summed up. Some great memes. Is that what you call them that come out on social media? Tommy, you're yes. our young man that's up to date with social media. That's yeah, exactly memes. what we yes, call memes. them. Some great memes come out. My favourite was when he was greeting Angela Merkel, and as mm. she turns her head, she just does the little eye roll as if to say, oh, what's this bloke on about? Uh, yeah. Meme, uh, just for your information, so you can impress your friends yes. over there at Triple M Footy. Uh, <laughs> Yes. It's short for memetics. Is it? a form of communication, yes. And what is a memetic? A memetic is a... Meme. An electric... (laughs) Yeah, it's a meme. Winter breakfast. I had the hand up to explain. It's like, okay, class, you're out for the summer. Moon Man, I was very happy to see the Bernard Tomic story continue to bubble away over the weekend. I don't think Bernard's going anywhere very quickly. I think there'll be more and more stories. We heard the great package put together by our own Jay Muller last week. And uh, so I'm, I think maybe we should have an opener for Bernard. Oh. Uh, maybe a little parody on a great classic from Sound of Music, this one. Exactly what I say. She climbs a tree and scrapes her knee. Her dress has got a tear. She waltzes on so her way to mass and whistles on Wait the till stair. we come to the... And underneath her whimper, she has curled in her hair. I've even heard her singing in the air. Oh, Tom, I thought I'd be sure of the Wow. No, I cut that, mate. Gee. Uh, what do we do about a problem like Bernard? Yeah, there we go. We'll work on that. Just you and Tom not exactly working together that well on that little particular situation. Not in situation. great concert there. Not in, not in harmony or sync. Bernard copped a lot of criticism over the weekend, but he made one particular quote, which I'm not sure how I feel on him, but after I read this quote, he was <laughs> elevated to a level of almost superstardom in my eyes. I read what I think you're going to quote too in the Sunday Herald Sun it made yesterday, me and I read it out to my wife, and we laughed because it's like any 24-year-old would do exactly the same. I quote a great Bernard Tomic. Yep. You probably don't like me, yep. but... At only 24, you guys, the general public, can only dream about having what I have at 24, stated Tommy. End of the day, don't like me or whatever. Just go back dreaming about your dream car or house while I go buy them. I applaud you, Well um, Bernard Tommy. Let's go back to that final couple of lines. Just go back. Dreaming about your dream car or house while... I go, go buy them. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got more money at 24 than you could ever dream of having. You might not like me, but go and jam it, everybody. Well uh, done, Bernie. Bernie. Well done. The thing is, he's irrepressible. He's indefatigable. He is. And uh, his father, though, has come out reportedly ashamed of his son's Bernard's uh, Wimbledon performance. Mm. Uh, Tomic has lost his racket sponsor and been fined $15,000 US for saying he was a little bit bored. Just on that, just on that. I don't want to digress too far, Mm. but his racket sponsor is head. They dropped him after those comments due to his press conference. This is a company that backed Maria Sharapova, sponsored by the same racket company, stuck with her Mm. while she was out of the game for being, for want of a better term, a drug cheat. If you're going to get rid of Bernie for making comments in a press conference... I don't know if you can stick with Maria in that situation and then give Bernie the flick. One's a confirmed drug cheat. One has made a comment in a press conference. And I always think that the sponsor could take the moment and think, how do we spin this? Let's make a uh, an advertisement with Bernard Tomic, you know, and some of his f- faults and missteps and, you know, maybe put in a little bit of where's your head at 
Where's your head? And then close in on his serve. You blokes have had one crack at a song already. I'm not sure you should be continuing down that path. Where's your head? Okay, so uh, John Tomick said of his son, he's my son, I love him, but I'm ashamed at how he's approaching his business. It's not good what he's doing, John Tomick told News Corp. I do not support such behaviour, especially at a unique Grand Slam like Wimbledon. So dad's come out and said, enough's enough, son. Uh, you have to respect and follow the rules, John went on to say. You have to work hard. You have to put in 100% and challenge yourself. But today, we stand as one, Howie, and applaud the young man because he bigged himself up and with due cause. I mean, he got $4.9 million worth of prize money mm-hmm. plus endorsements in the bank. He's a wealthy guy. And he's just rubbed our faces in it. That's it. So give us a call, one triple three five three. What do you brag about? Give us a call now. What it do you brag size, about? It might be size. It might be bank account. It size. might be your car. Just go back dreaming about your dream car or house while I go buy them. One triple three five three. Plenty of prizes. Plenty of prizes to give away on the winter breakfast. What, what do you, you brag, brag about? about? Talking Bernard Tomic. One triple three five three. What do you brag about after Bernie said? You probably don't like me, but at only 24, you guys can only dream about having what I have at 24, stated Tomic. End of the day, don't like me or whatever. Just go back dreaming about your dream car or house while I go buy them. I love it. One, triple, three, five, three. We'll give away some footy tickets. Tell us what you brag about. What do you brag about? You've got a lot to brag about. He has said to the nation, dream on. You want to be Bernard Tomic. Yep. You want to be the atomic warhead, (laughs) but you can't be. I am. I know what you brag about. What's I that? I don't know whether how many times I have heard mm. you talk about your three grand final appearances without a premiership. The three losses, I guess. And then you walked Xavier, away. I don't think that's the go. You know what yep. I do brag about? I brag about uh, the beautiful Mrs. Howie because she is smoking hot. She's clever. She's beautiful. Yeah. I brag about her. I do too. I brag about about uh, Mrs. Howie. That's no. unusual. <laughs> now I'm getting a little concerned. I should have rephrased that. Yes. Uh, I also brag about my wife. Right. Uh, this is the lady whose birthday you forgot last week. Uh, don't worry. I've done a make good. It's all singing. Because uh, I've turned it into a birthday week celebration. <laughs> I forgot it's your birthday. I forgot it's your birthday. It's a festival. Now we're having a festival. We are even though I forgot it. This last is the lady we that you out. said for her present you would turn up to her work and do five minutes of comedy. Well, and you thought that was an appropriate present. Yesterday, Chatty, last night, dinner, <laughs> the festival rolls on. One, so, triple, three, five, three. We've got people uh, ringing all over the place about what they brag about. I brag about my three Barry Award nominations for the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. Oh, that is the, a brag. Always the bridesmaid, never the bride. Never, never mind. Let's find out what Dawn from Croydon brags about. G'day, Dawny. Hi, how are you? We're on top of the world here. What's your number one brag, Dawn? Um, my number one brag is that my son and Luke Hodge were born in the same room. Was it the public system? Was it the same time? or? Uh, it wasn't the same time, and yes, it was the public system because they didn't have a private hospital in Colac. Now, he's playing his 300th game this week, Dawn. That is something worth bragging about. I'm going to give you a couple of tickets to go and watch St Kilda Essendon uh, thanks to ticketmaster.com.au because, just quietly, on the occasional... Now, I'm going to brag as well, Dawn, about Luke Hodge. Whenever he sends me a text messages a text message, I show everybody I know and oh, say, wow. Luke Hodge just sent me a text message. I do the same. Good on you, Dawn. I love that one. Nicely There's a lot done. of love in the room for Luke Hodge. <laughs> of course, it is the rural round this week. Yes, the boy from Colac. And uh, he is from Colac. Karen from Airport West, what's your number one brag? 
my daughter. Full stop? Uh, yes. What do you brag what, about? What does she do, your daughter? Uh, uh, well, one, she makes us laugh, and she's always slept all night since birth. Ah, oh, right. Wow. Other mothers will hate you now, Karen. Yes, I know. That's why I'm bragging. Yes. How, how old is she? Monday morning, have a laugh. How old is she, Karen? 14 months. Oh, what's oh, her name? God, love her. Mariana. Oh, Mariana. Well, give her a kiss and a cuddle from everyone here. No one can compete with a beautiful sleeping baby, Moo Man. That is a gift in itself, isn't it? And Wayne uh, is the president of Nunawadding. I haven't oh. got the full. That, that, Wayne that, Devine that, is the president Nunawading of Nunawadding Lions. No, the Nunawadding Lions. Lions. This is a team we uh, highlighted on Dead Set Legends who used to get beat by 250 points every single week. Wayne O. Yes, mate, we did. That's right. We struggled last year. And so what are you bragging about? Uh, the 24 blokes of our reserve side who refused not to lose on the weekend. We had a win. Oh, Wayne. Bum, bum, bum. Congratulations. Well done. What were, who were you playing? Yeah. What was the score and how did you celebrate? Okay, well, we played against them Waverley and uh, they're a club that uh, struggled a few years back themselves. So we learned a lot from them last year and a few other clubs that had struggled. And uh, we came out, we had one goal in, so it was 8 6 54 to 7 6 48. And uh, the icing on the cake was a young man who's played it's his first year of football. He got a free kick and he dobbed the goal at the end to get us over the line. Oh, oh on that the is siren. worth bragging about. Well done to you and all the crew from the Lions because I know you had it pretty tough there, Wayne. You stuck with it. Well done. That's worth bragging about. He's gone. Thanks, I appreciate it. Good on you, Wayne. Wayne Devine. Well done. President of the Nunawading Lions. They've had a win. Tommy's pushing the buttons here. What do you brag about, young Tom? Uh, I'm, I'm a bit of a swimmer these days, actually. So oh, okay. I've been bragging about my swimming times. Okay. What, what are we doing? Hit your times with us. Well, I'm, uh, I've been moving up to 1.4K and mm. uh, my current swimming pace is uh, 1 minute 56. However, we did say this on our show, which for 100. happens for a, per 100 metres. We did say this on our show, which happens um, 7 to 10 p.m. Monday through Wednesday. Oh, that's Tom and Ollie. <laughs> um, Just uh, wedging hello. his little, uh, little promo plug. in there. Little plug. Uh, but someone did call up and say that that's pretty much the time that their child swims in the warm-up and they swim 2K. So, you know. <laughs> so whatever. what's a li- what's Olympic for 100 metres? Well, Kieran Perkins and Hackett went under 15 minutes for the 1500. So, therefore, they are doing per lap more your 30 seconds sort of set up. So, yeah. That, that's so, about, uh, so that's a minute for 100. Yeah, so they're halving what Tom's doing and they're doing it for a K and a half. But uh, if that's what you want to brag about, Tommy, brag away. Keep swimming, Tommy. <laughs> On Triple M's Winter Breakfast, it's the Sport Thought. Robots got it. For all your building supplies, R-O-B-O-T. Winter breakfast, Triple M, Mark Howard, Lawrence Mooney, two minutes after eight, heading to the top of 15 in beautiful Melbourne. A few showers around this afternoon. At the footy yesterday, mm. as I was for the majority of the weekend, Moon Doggy, enjoying it with Triple M. Clayton Oliver was given a bit of stick over the fence by a Carlton supporter in the second quarter, and Clayton went back and had a bit of a crack at him as well, which for mine... If you're going to yell over the fence at a footballer, I think you deserve to get yelled back at. But uh, there's heavy sanctions from the league if a, a footballer is seen to be you know, interacting with a crowd member, physically or verbally. Well, there was certainly no physical situation. I think he was given a bit of stick and he might have delivered a little bit back. Uh, it happens quite frequently, the footy moon doggy. It does indeed. In fact, uh, I can go back to when I was a kid. I was watching a Melbourne Hawthorne game at Princess Park. So I used to go to every Hawthorne game with a... Lovely family that used to take me along, hmm. uh, the Shannons. And uh, Ray Biffin struck a child. Ray Biffin? Ray Biffin, uh, full back or full forward. It was He played intermittently at both ends of the ground. Uh, 
he he was a larger player, and there was a kid out there calling him, you know, a fat this and that, and he went over to the fence, uh, you know, to pick up the ball, and uh, went to shake the kid's hand, and the kid put his hand out and he fresh aired him and clipped him across the head. Said, "Mind your language." Now, now we can't Beautiful advocate work. we can't advocate that, but that was a, a different time. And I would I would suggest that that is totally okay. <laughs> well, it might sort the crowd out a touch too. No. Not a young fella, but if you're a if you're Look, an older member of the community, you're delivering that. Striking that? children's got a bad name, <laughs> uh, but you know, sort them out. If you're gonna you're gonna be foul mouth of the footy and. Uh, you, you deserve a, a clip from Ray Biffin. Well, I've got no problem with uh, Well, I've got a problem with that. But if Clayton Oliver gets a bit of stick, well, I think he probably is in his rights to give it back. It happens a little bit in mm. the modern world. I've sat down on the boundary there for many years. I can recall a Richmond game that we were covering on the 10 network when I was riding the boundary. And uh, they were giving it to Ben Cousins, a particular gentleman, giving it to him all the time. Every time he came on, came off. Some what, rather what, what unsavoury of... comments. Oh, exactly what you'd expect. Right. About from... drug use. Yeah, exactly. And Cuzzy ignored it, ignored it. And I mm. think it was halfway through the third quarter. And he was, uh, he'd come off the bench and he was just jogging around the boundary, warming up to go back on. And this bloke gave it to him again. And he just turned around and pointed at him. He said, mate, you're fat, you're ugly, Ooh. and you've paid to watch me play. And just continued on his <laughs> way. And right. I thought, respect, Cuzzy. Mm. Respect. And and when he said that, I thought, hey, I was only joking. <laughs> Moon, I love a good sporting story, as you know. It's my passion. I love the sport. I'm going to snapshot this story for you. We're about to speak to a gentleman by the name of Ryan McCarthy, an Australian golfer mm. out of Tassie, currently ranked 1,342 in the world and going up with a rocket and has just qualified for the British Open in quite extraordinary circumstances. He joins us on the line now from Europe. G'day, Ryan. How you going, guys? Very well indeed. Bill Murray would say, if you win this, it's the Cinderella story. How does it feel to be in the British Open, Ryan? Mate, unreal. It, uh, it probably still hasn't set in. Uh, it's a dream. It's the biggest <laughs> event in the world. And I get to play it. I've been hitting putts for this tournament since I was a kid, and I had to putt and hold it. So it's just an absolute dream. Tell us about that putt, mate. Take us back to the pre-tournament playoff in Scotland. There was a playoff. How many people involved and how did you take them down? So there was four people for one spot. Um, I actually had to wait just over four hours for the playoff too. And it came down to the last putt. The guy had a he had a 12-foot putt to, to knock me out. And lucky this time, he missed it. But I, I kind of geared myself up. It was 8.40 at night and... Only in Scotland, it's daylight until midnight, basically. I made birdie up the first playoff hole, played super aggressive, risked it, and yeah, got it. it super. Just, um, one of those days where everything fell my way. So, Ryan, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I said, you're, you're on the way from 1,342 to 342 to top 10 for mine, the way I'm reading the situation. You've grown up in Tassie. Tell us about your path to get to the British Open. You've been playing golf all around the world in some extraordinary places. Yeah, no, I played amateur golf in 2009 for the country uh, through 2012 or so. And then turned pro, you know, learnt my trade in Asia a little bit. And then it took me to South America. I played there for two years, trying to get through to the web.com tool. And I was always close, but I was always one of those guys that was one or two shots short, you know, maybe next year. And then I tried out for the European tour this year, got some status, got some world ranking points finally, ended up in this position. And now I end up in a major. It's kind of, you know, one of those 14 years overnight. 
you end up in what you want. Overnight success after 14 years. So just to give an idea of the lifestyle you lead, you're obviously going from tournament to tournament, travelling all around, you know, regions like Asia or South America. Are you living on endorsements or prize money or people backing you? You know, where's the the money coming from, Ryan? Uh, I started off, uh, I was lucky I was ranked very high as an amateur. So I got endorsements for the first 18 months. But when you don't kick on to be the top 100 in the world through those first 18 months, everyone disappears. Right. Um, no, and I understand that just because there's no benefit for them. So the last three and a half years, what I spend is what I spend and what I make is goes off to paying the credit card debt. But I'm lucky sometimes I've run out and I've got a beautiful family back in Tasmania that, that back me to the hill probably more than I back myself. So oh, that's, that's how nice. we survive. Uh, Ryan, so you mentioned South America, so Argentina, Brazil, <laughs> Peru, Colombia, <laughs> as Lawrence uh, brings to my attention, <laughs> Bolivia. Where's the weirdest place in South America you've played in a golf tournament? I, remember, I had a really weird moment. I remember I was travelling from Nicaragua to Mexico, and we got caught in an intersection, and there was just a, a 10-year-old kid spinning a handgun around little Clint Eastwood-style action going on. <laughs> And I thought, you know what? I'm going to run this red light. This is, I really need to get better at golf and get out of these countries. Nicaragua, um, though, brother. There's some nice pumping if, waves there in Nicaragua. If only I could surf. <laughs> <laughs> I'm meant to be Australian. I'm meant to surf, but I'm just no good at it. <laughs> Ryan, before we let you go, as I said, ranked 1,342 in the world, just pre-qualified for the British Open. How are you going to feel when you stand up on that first tee? Oh. From Tasmania, Australia, Ryan McCarthy. Polite round of applause. Oh, obviously, I'll be, <laughs> I'll, I'll be a nervous wreck, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. I've played golf long enough now, Howie. I, you know, I know how to handle that stuff. I just have to, you know, it, it's so cliche, all that tunnel vision kind of stuff, but it's just golf. It's just a game. Just hit the ball where you're trying to hit it. Do it as best as you can to be in control and then see what happens. But uh, I can't wait for that moment. It's It's... Been 14 years coming as a dream, and I really, really hope I can be in control of my, you know, mental state of mind in that process, in that moment. They uh, encourage golfers to, you know, go to that happy place just before the club head strikes the ball. Where is your happy place, Ryan McCarthy? God, I feel like the happy place is such a lie. Happy Gilmore, happy Gilmore School, don't <laughs> the world. Not like two midgets on a bicycle with a beautiful lawn with like two pints of beer. It's literally you go out trying to. It's like kicking a footy. You want to kick a footy to another guy? Kick it. It's like hit a golf ball to where you want to hit it? Hit it. It's just setting a goal and doing your best to do it. And if you fail, go and find it and try to hit it closer the next time. But my my happy place, <laughs> if you had to say where it is, it's sitting on my balcony in Tassie, having a beer with the old man, the friends, watching the footy. There's no better place than that. But uh, right now, we, we have a job to do. Mm. I'm going to try and do my best to represent my island and my country doing it. So. Ryan, I'm a big fan of Adam Scott and Jason Day and Leishman and these guys and their private jets playing the USPJ Tour. But any man that wants to hang out with his old man, have a beer and sit in his balcony, you are now my favourite Australian golfer. Best of luck at the British Open. May all your dreams come true. Thanks for having a chat with us, Rhino. Uh, it's a pleasure, guys. Whenever you want to again. No worries. This is a, an area that we are fascinated in, Howie, because yeah. uh, purportedly we don't go into these circles. And we're talking about dating apps this morning. If you're on one, give us a call, one triple three five three. I'm fascinated by them because uh, I 
dated in, a, in an era before dating apps. When you met people face to face. Well, you'd have to sh- have a shower and put on your best shirt and take a step into the world. Maybe even spark up a conversation after, you know, 14 standard drinks. So you had the, <laughs> the courage. That's the weird thing. You'd, you'd get the courage, then you didn't have the wherewithal Correct. To, to make it all happen. The interesting thing with dating apps for me, though, is there's this huge range. You know, at one end, you've got elite and eHarmony, where it's like people who are clearly cashed up and professional and they're, they're ready to settle down. Then, mm. you know, in the middle, you've got your old ones, RSVP and Java. And then, the, you know, at the bottom end, you've got Will Bang in a Paddock, uh, <laughs> dot com. <laughs> I've heard that one. Well, ac- according to the Herald Sun, as far as your picture goes on your dating app, men are more likely to take their selfies from about waist height to make them appeal taller, more Mm. powerful, more likely to be able to protect their partner, whereas women are much more likely to take them from above head height to accentuate facial features and disguise any concerns over body weight. What was that last one you mentioned? Will bang in a paddock. I haven't heard that. No, one. that was one that I made. Tommy, up. You're, you're, you're Tom, our man here, Tom now, and Ollie, keeping an ear out for him on the breakfast. This is more your wheelhouse. What Tom, type? Tom what is what, what is out there? Yeah, but yeah. Uh, you have used. I am partnered. Uh, I'm open and partnered, actually. To be honest, okay. Long, what? long distance relationship with the boyfriend who lives over in New Zealand. So, so when, what's... You, when you say open and partner, that means you can uh, still date. Yes, correct. So I still have some of these dating apps for sure. Hang on. Hello. So you've got the best of both worlds here, is what you're telling me. <laughs> you, you've got a partner. Yes. Who lets you stay on social media? Correct. To see what else is out there. Yeah, absolutely. Very confident partner. Yeah. Well, it's all about trust, isn't it? Yeah. You trust well, that, we, well, that we go back to each other. That's right. Wow. And it's long distance. So we see each other like two, every two, three. So what, what type of apps are out you've got there? a voracious appetite that needs <laughs> satisfying. Thank you to everyone having their breakfast, picturing young Tom. Well, I mean, for, for, the, for the heterosexual side of things, uh, you've got Tinder, Bumble, Happen, Plenty of Fish, Zeusk, OkCupid, RSVP, Match, Badu, eHarmony, Clover, Whoa. Blender, just to name a Blender? What goes on on Blender? I have no idea. Plenty and of then, fish. And then for the, for the you know, same sex orientation, yes. you've got Her, Grinder, Scruff, Mr, Squirt, Surge, Hornet, Bro, just to name Squirt. Squirt. Scruff and Squirt. <laughs> Squirt. Wow. Now... In the in the uh, the gay world, yeah. what is seen as the most? I don't care what you do or what you look like. I don't want conversation. I just want action. Which is the? It'd one probably that... be your grinder or your squirt. Right, grinder or squirt. And in the hetero world, which which of those is? I've heard I've heard plenty of fish. Right, uh, plenty of fish. It, I've like... got a mate of mine who's been on plenty of fish, and that's pretty much like. You know, is he getting plenty of fish? DT. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think he did back in the day. Yeah, right. that's that's the big game changer for me. Once upon a time, we would go down to the bar, or you know, you'd try and find uh, a, a a partner mm. out there in the world. But now you can be a lot busier, a lot more quickly, and that's I think the big Absolutely. game changer. Someone was telling me the other day that would know that works in this space uh, was telling me that brothels in Melbourne have suffered a significant downturn in business oh, wow. due to the fact of your squirt, etc. That your or people scruff. can get that type of thing now. If uh, well, let's just move straight on because it's free. Yeah. yeah. So why go and pay for it when so, you can jump on squirt.com.nakedfish or whatever you yeah. said it was called? So, okay, Cupid naked fish. <laughs> right. So basically, again, disruption from the online world has ruined a great industry. You know, first of all, we had uh, Uber destroying the taxi worlds. Now dating apps are destroying what is 
significantly seen as you know the oldest profession in the world, mm. which is incorrect because somebody had to pay in the first place. So you would say that probably farmers are the ones there. Um, so, I see. I so see. This, is, this is the dating app that really has caught my attention in uh, in recent years. The Ashley Madison ad. So it's uh, encouraging to cheat on your wife. Uh, so it says life's too short not to have an affair. But that is a very catchy tune. I'm looking for someone other than my wife. Other than my wife. And you know what, Howie? What? Do not get caught walking around at home humming that tune to yourself. Looking for someone other than my wife. Uh, from dating apps to Brian Taylor. What a juxtaposition, I believe you call it. That's coming up in about six minutes. Always a treat to speak to this bloke, uh, the number one footy caller in the business for mine. Brian Taylor is on the line. G'day, BT. How are you? How are you, mate? Yeah, good. Hey, BT. We've just been speaking... Hey, Lawrence. ...dating apps, Brian. In your day back there in the WA country, if you'd had the choice of a dating app, do you think you would have jumped on? Um... I think I would have been in certainty uh, to get on. Uh, look, I don't know a lot about them. Duck uh, Duck tells me a lot about them, so he's obviously got an insight running on it. Uh, I wouldn't mind. Um, I wouldn't mind investigating it at some stage just to see what's going on in that in that world. That's right. Just it's as a research assignment, of course. Back in your day, Brian, the pub yeah. was the dating app, wasn't it? Uh, absolutely, it was uh, the pub or the car. It would be there, uh, you know. It just depended where you were. Thank you, Brian. Hey, Clayton Oliver. Clayton Oliver involved in an incident yesterday. We saw it over the fence. There are reports coming out, unconfirmed at this stage, that the member of the public used the worst possible word uh, that we have in our language. Yeah, uh, well, yeah, I'm not going to go into it, but used a pretty abusive term towards Clayton, who had a crack back, Brian, apparently. Yes, I saw that at that game and uh, noticed that. And look, there's just no room at the footy. I, I, I think if there's a word banned at the footy, it's that word. Yep. Um, kids... Old ladies were sitting around in the vicinity of that area. Doesn't really matter who's sitting around. It's just a word you probably you probably shouldn't use at all. And um, so, from that point of view, it's wrong. But nothing more than that. It's just mm. it's not a great choice of words, and it's not one that anyone should be using at the footy. I'm all for footy supporters being able to vent their anger and frustration within reason. And um, you know, my parameters are pretty wide. <laughs> um, but just that is a no go. No go zone there. BT, did you ever fly at a uh, a member of the crowd yourself? Um, Throw a handful uh, of dirt in there, or uh, there was some. I remember coming off at Essendon in one particular day, and uh, what I thought was water ended up being oh, wee yeah. wees. Uh, oh. That was uh, tipped over the race because they were the wire races in those days. So oh. there was a lot of uh, unpleasant stuff going on. But I don't think oh. Oh. I, I did give the odd support of the mouthful, particularly being a full forward in those days and glued mm. to the goal square, you had a uh, 120 minutes of abuse coming from uh, opposition supporters. So you just got on with it, though. Hey, uh, Brian, talking about abuse, Collingwood supporters not happy, obviously, now. Mathematically, still a tiny chance, but they're not going to be playing finals. There'll be a lot of discussions this week around Nathan Buckley. How do you see the situation? I know this is a club that you love yeah. and is very dear to your heart. Look, it's really clear for me uh, that no decision will be made until the end of the year. The only decision that could be made prior to the end of the year is that of Nathan Buckley himself. He might come out and say to the club, look, 
Um, I'm not going to coach Collingwood next year. Um, I can't do any more for the club. I've done my best. That's the only thing that could possibly happen. In terms of him being sacked between now and the end of the year, for all those people in the media out there, it's just not going to happen. For all of those people writing articles, it's just not going to happen. And what really annoys me is the same people that write the articles and talk about this, the very next day after he is sacked, they come out and tell us what a good bloke he is and how great he's been. Look, he's just not going to—he's just not going to go until the end of the year, and I think that's the right thing to do. Um, you know, Bucks is a guy that he knows when he's had enough, and um, right at this point in time, he'd be thinking about that and uh, putting that through his brain and filtering it. But um, I'm sure that over the next couple of weeks, he'll indicate to the club, and he said this himself. He also has to make a decision whether he wants to continue to go through this as well. Yeah, it's a really good point, Brian. I sort of brought up with the boys yesterday on the Sunday rub. There's all this talk about pressure in football and and players have stepped away because of the pressure of the game. When you put yourself in someone else's shoes, whether it be Nathan Buckley, can you imagine, Moon Man, every day you turn up at Triple M, people are saying, you're going to lose your job, you're going to lose your job, you're going to lose your job, you're not good enough to do your job, you shouldn't be doing your job. And then once a week, Brian, you have to face the media who put these questions to you. That must be an extraordinarily difficult position to be in when you put yourself in that person's shoes. Absolutely. Uh, You know, you'd just love to be able to get on with it. You can't please everyone, um, you know, but look, I... Having said all of that, it is about wins and losses. Mm, yep. And I think come the end of the year, something will probably happen. Um, you know, you can't coach a club for six years and have the win-loss ratio that he's currently got and at least not have some, you know, have to answer some pretty tough questions at, uh, at board level at the end of the year. And regardless of uh, what happens over the next couple of weeks, speculation will continue until the end of the year, until we have a result. What a season you know, it's been. But Lawrence, hey, but Lawrence, on that, see, we in the media, we just keep going and going and going until we kill a coach. And we haven't killed a coach for a while. So that's what the media is currently doing for those people out there listening. They're just looking for some blood somewhere. But and, you know, as, as a Collingwood coach, uh, that must come with the job. You must expect yes. that speculation constantly, especially if the win-loss ratio isn't high and they're going to finish, you know, in the bottom part of the ladder. You know that that is just standard par. just seems it comes with every position in footy. You know, coaching the worst, players the second worst, Um, even in the media, in the the job that we do, Howie, you've Mm. only got to go onto social media. And if you go onto social media, you think, you know, Mm. you just... You just think, why are these people saying these things about me? I'm trying my best. I'm doing my best. If you don't like me, switch off. Uh, Lawrence, when you trot out you know, a joke for the 21st time, which I've heard, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's not great feedback. Well, I tell you what, you know, there's only so many jokes out there, Brian. Like, there's only so many ways you can describe a game of football. More That's close right. games over the weekend as well as some blowouts, but Melbourne by eight over Carlton, Freo by four over North Melbourne, and, and a draw, the second... Uh, consecutive draw since the 1920s, I believe. It's been a yeah. weird old season. Yeah, 1921. So that's uh, absolutely incredible. I think you're probably only going to need 11 wins to get in. Someone like the Bulldogs, who have only got seven wins with seven games remaining, are you going to need 14 or more wins to make the top four? So they're ruled out for the top four. They're probably almost ruled out for the eight, the way they're going. The mm. game I did yesterday, the Melbourne Carlton game, Melbourne, were, depending on whether they're in front on the scoreboard, were fluctuating between top four and eighth position. So, 
uh, and then Fremantle getting up to win that game with the first gamer. What about that for um, a quarter? Yeah. So he kicks a goal with his first kick in footy. He kicks four for the game, and he kicks the winning goal. Wow. And he, what, an ocean, what a game. And I believe he's a backman in his real job, Brian. So an extraordinary day for that young man yesterday. What's on for the rest of the day, Brian? Your day always interests me. Um, well, today I had the man deliver wood at 7 a.m. Mm. He knocked on the door for about an hour looking for his cheque. Uh, and uh, For anyone that arrives at my place at 6.30 a.m., don't expect me to answer the door on Monday morning at 6.30 a.m. and provide you with a cheque for delivering some wood. Um, some wood, half a, ton, did. half a tonne. So, stuff him. <laughs> Good on you, Brian. Appreciate your time. Always nice to speak to you. <laughs> Good. Good on you, boys. Traffic on the tower is just running very smoothly. Must be an RDO today, I reckon. <laughs> That's it. And Thanks for holidays. the traffic update. Brian Taylor, winter breakfast. He's a star, that man, on Triple M. Unfortunately, if you haven't heard the news, Australia's Richie Port crashed out of the closing stages of Stage 9 of the Tour de France. Is that how, how it happened on SBS? So he's had a crash, crash and Port is down. So too is Dan Martin. Richie Port is on the deck. Dan Martin is with him. This is the day that everybody's feared. Here we see it. The left-hander, Port off the road. Dan oh. Martin over the top. Dan that Martin is unluckily heavy... taken out. It's a heavy, heavy fall. You'll see it on all the news services today. A massive crash, unfortunately. And I say unfortunately, pretty lucky that Richie, in the end, only busted a collarbone, which cyclists do continually, but also has apparently fractured his pelvis. Mm. Lawrence Meany, we had Sam Edmund on from the Herald Sun, who is covering the tour and doing a magnificent job earlier on in the show. You put this to him. Interesting topic. A cynical person observing that change in the way the tour's been run might just say, well, that's like reality TV, you know, sleep deprivation and throw someone an angle grinder, tell them to renovate a house. They're asking for trouble. They want that kind of action. They want that kind of spills and thrills. No, well, that's what some of the writers are saying. I mean, the man we just spoke about earlier, Dan Martin, he uh, finished and crossed the line and said, look, well, I guess, let's be honest, the organisers have got what they want. Yeah, so basically he's relating to the fact that typically the Tour de France stages and any cycling stages finish at the top of a summit. Mm. This one, you summited, then had to go down a very dangerous descent to cross the finish line. Uh, Lance Armstrong, no matter what you think of him or what he's done in the sport, he has a wonderful podcast out at the moment called Stages, which comes out every day and it discusses a review of the previous stage and a preview of the next stage. And I was listening to it yesterday afternoon on the way home from the footy and he was saying, right, there's going to be a downhill descent there's talk of rain. There will be crashes and there will be big crashes on the Tour de France tonight. And that is exactly what happened, Moon Man. Because the stakes are high and obviously the tour organisers have been looking at BMX and mountain biking and thought, why can't we get a little bit of that in there as well? And you made a very good point, Howie. If you're going to be the best rider in the world in the Tour de France, it's who can get up the hill the fastest. Yep. Anyone can let off the brakes and go downhill willy-nilly or recklessly, but they weren't riding recklessly. They were given conditions that are going to precipitate a result like we saw. Poor Richie Porter just absolutely wearing it. Yeah, for, for me, the winner of a cycling race is the one that gets to the top of the hill the first, not who can get down to the bottom the quickest. And this is a narrow road. It's windy, it's wet, and he had a very, very big accident. And he's lucky. You know, I don't say this lightly. People have died before descending downhill. We saw that massive crash at the Olympics with the girl a couple of years ago in Rio. It's a very, very dangerous sport. So for mine, you want to be finishing the race at the top of the hill. But anyway, hopefully Richie's uh, bounces back. And he's 32 now, so... 
He needs to get one of these results on board to win the Tour de France because he's getting a little bit older. Yeah, we wish him a speedy recovery because yeah. not only has he got a broken a clavicle and a pelvis, he also had a deep laceration on his arm and he looked in a state of absolute shock as oh, they were putting you know him in the meat wagon. You know when you get wagon. the old gravel rash? Imagine trying to mm. sleep. The sheets would be sticking to you. Absolutely. And you know what they do with a bad gravel rash? They scrub it until yeah. every last Ooh. little stone is out. Ooh. Otherwise, you get an infection. So not a nice thing to have. What's on for the rest of the day for you, Big Daddy? Oh, I've got a bit of a to-do list, but I might uh, head up to the Harold Holt and, uh, <laughs> and pump out some laps. Look out, ladies. Of course, a pool. <laughs> Hello. Wow. wow. In the budgie smuggler. <laughs> yes, uh, a pool named after our Prime Minister that drowned. Uh, probably a good idea at the time, but has always been seen as a deep irony in Melbourne. <laughs> Quite ironic, really. Well. See you, Howie. See you, Moon. Take it easy. Winter breakfast. Have a great day, Melbourne. Triple M.